Good morning and welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. And this morning, I wanna know, do you have a competitive side? We're gonna hear today how humility can conquer competition. Stay tuned. Before that video, I asked you if you had a competitive side. My name is Lisa, if we haven't met in person. And I would have to say that I definitely do have a competitive side to me. And I am married to someone with a competitive side and I have kids who have a competitive side. So family game sites are quite interesting in our home. Well, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, I had a favorite game. And I would love to hear from you. What was your favorite game growing up? Maybe that was a board game or maybe a computer game or, or like, kick the can or hide and seek, something that you played with friends, but leave it in the comments below. One thing that I'm finding so fun is to see this resurgence of things that I thought were gone. So when I was in elementary school, one of my favorite computer games was the lemmings. And if you don't know what the lemmings are, they were like these little green and purple guys and they would follow each other and you had to uh, give them certain commands, whether they were supposed to dig or build stairs or stop the other lemmings from going and you would guide them uh, to their specific exit door. And it was such a great game for me because I only was able to play it when we were at friends' houses. We were at my parents' best friends, the Allens, and they had the lemmings on their computer. And so whenever I would be able to go there, I would get to play the lemmings. Well, lo and behold, Thanks to technology, what should appear in the app store but the lemmings for my phone. And it was a great blast from the past. Well, this morning we are gonna be able to hear from Pastor Marcus how humility can conquer competitiveness. And so I hope that you will be as encouraged as I am with this message. Well, good morning, friends. So glad that you've joined us here today. My name is Marcus. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel, and I'm so glad that you're here uh, on this beautiful Sunday morning. Well, I don't know about you, uh, and I don't know if you know me, know this about me, but I am somebody who's very, very competitive. Um, my family has this like favorite game that we play. It's called Dutch Blitz. It's this like really fast-paced card game where you have a set of numbers that are colored, and you have to match numbers and colors, and it's really fast paced because you're constantly trying to get rid of your deck. And this is a game that our family plays quite often, and so it can get pretty wild. And I remember one time when I was a preteen that I was playing this game with a group of people, but one of those people was my older sister. And we were playing and, you know, going along, and a lot of the people were much better than I was at this game, but I knew that my sister and I were like almost matched. There was a moment where I grabbed one of my cards and I was like ready to slap it down on the table and my sister's hand came in and did the exact same thing with the same number. And it's almost as if our hands slapped that card down at the exact same time. And so as we saw that, well in our competitiveness, we began to dispute of who put their card down first because that person would get the point for that particular number. And so we began to argue and it escalated and escalated. And usually this is a game that I would play sitting down, but by the end of this argument, 
I was like standing up, like shoulders back, chest out. And we were having this like pointing, yelling match at each other at who put down their card first. And so when I was saying that I'm competitive, I'm not joking because that's just a fun card game. And my family can get a little intense, obviously, uh, with playing games together. But we know that at the end of that card game or at the end of that game in general, like there's no bad, there's no bad blood. Like we're okay. We know that it was just a card game. And that little friendly competition isn't something that lasts beyond that game. But what happens when competition begins to become unhealthy? What happens when that competition begins to uh, not just become like friendly competition, but it becomes something more where we no longer feel like it's something friendly. And, and sometimes that competition can spur us on to do better, to work harder, to do more, um, which in those moments can sometimes be good. But I think in our culture, uh, a spirit of competition and comparison is something that's really, really prevalent. It only takes you a moment to open your phone, to go onto one of the many social media apps that I'm sure you have installed, and to see all of these highlight reels of other people's lives. Where you can see the great vacations that they went on, or the amount of followers, or the likes, or the numbers on their Instagram reels of their videos that they post. And we begin to kind of feel this cycle of needing to compare ourselves to them, to their pictures, to their videos, to their lifestyle, and then begin to compete and it becomes this like snowball effect where we never quite feel like we're reaching where we want to. And the spirit of competition, that particular type, can become really dark. I think it can root something really deeply in our hearts. Where no longer do we feel like we're competing with that person, but we actually begin to have contempt for that person. And not only is this something that I think we see in our, in our society around us, but as believers of faith, I think that this is this kind of situation that we find ourselves in uh, has really caused that same sense uh, for churches and for believers of faith. Because as the world had to move online, so did churches. Where churches who had never done a sweet thing online now had to like pivot to do almost everything exclusively online. Like we are right now as I'm looking into a camera instead of the, the whites of your eyes. And so it can be really easy, I think, for, for Christians, even in our culture right now, to be able to see the highlight reels of that other church, to be able to see that Christian influencer and notice the, the amount of video views they have, to be able to see that friend or that mentor grow in influence that we wish that we had. And it could begin to root that same sense of comparison and competition in our lives. And in those two moments, I think what the outcome of that is, is that when we compare and compete in that way, what it does is it kills our ability to celebrate authentically with others. Where we may, yes, comment on that picture or comment on that moment or like that reel to show our support, but internally I think we're having a little bit of a different dialogue. Where we're having something internally that's uh, beginning to root deeply where we're not celebrating that person truly where we may say that out loud, but our hearts are saying a different story. And so what happens with that comparison? Well, I think that for believers, that's actually not God's heart for us today. I don't think God has an intention for us to compete, uh, not just with each other, but also in kind of the faith realm as well. I think he is much better for you and I as believers of faith. And as we continue our series in John, we can see what this better is. 
And so before we jump into the word, I'm going to quickly pray. God, thank you so much that you were with us. God, thank you so much that you um, give us your word to continue to teach us and that your word truly is relevant for the situations that we find ourselves in today. We thank you so much that you have given us uh, all that we need in you, Jesus, and in your spoken word to be able to guide us in our life. And so, Lord, I pray that we would uh, have hearts that are open to what you're saying and that my words that come out of my mouth today would be so quiet and that your voice would speak so clearly through me. And thank you for a gift that that is. God, I pray that I would use uh, that gift well and that I would uh, continue to just quiet my voice so that you can speak to our hearts. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be finishing off John chapter 3 as we continue our Gospel of John series. And so we're going to be starting and uh, reading in John chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. If you don't have a Bible with us, we would love to put one in your hands, whether digitally or physically. So if you go to myevangel.church forward slash Bible, it will give you everything that you need in order to get one of those um, two resources. And so we'd love to just set you up with that. But let's read together in John chapter 3, verse 22 to 24. It says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Enon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Well, when we see this passage, it's a little bit of a strange passage when we look at kind of the rest of chapter 3. It's been actually even disputed in where it should be placed in John's gospel. Because we just finished hearing last week uh, and, and in the previous part of this chapter about God's love for humanity and sending Jesus. And so what we're reading seems like a little bit random. But I think what John is doing is he's showing kind of the cyclical, um, always moving nature of Jesus's ministry. Because Jesus never spent a long amount of time in specific areas throughout his ministry. And so what I think is that the passage that we finished uh, earlier in John chapter 3, is kind of ending a snapshot of Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem. And now, as we're reading our passage today, we're seeing a snapshot of his ministry as he moves to Judea and the surrounding countryside. And so as we see in this passage, there is quickly a dispute that arises uh, between the two parties between Jesus and his disciples and John the Baptist and his followers or his disciples. Because the reality is when we look at this picture, they were both baptizing in the same region. And scripture makes it clear that John the Baptist was actually there first. That we see Jesus kind of coming onto the scene as John is already there baptizing people and, and doing what, he was, what Jesus was just about to come to do. And so John the Baptist see this. They see Jesus come on the scene and begin to do the exact same things that John the Baptist was doing. And not only that, but they see that some of John the Baptist's followers were beginning to actually leave and go follow Jesus. And so they begin to become frustrated. They begin to kind of put their guard up, kind of puff their chests out, and have that same sense of competition that begins to root in their heart. And so John the Baptist's disciples bring up their frustration to John. And I want us to, to really carefully read how they like word what they're saying because they use all sorts of distancing language. His disciples can't even say Jesus's name. They use this like long convoluted sentence of how to describe who Jesus was. And so let's read it together in scripture in John chapter three, verse 25 to 26. It says, now a discussion arose between some of, some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, 
he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness. Look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Do you see that distancing language? They can't even just say, Jesus is baptizing people. They say, he who is with you across the Jordan, the one whom you bore witness, he is baptizing. All those are going to him. And so we see that these, these disciples of John are already starting to kind of like take a step back and start to distance themselves from even the person of Jesus. And as they kind of reference John the Baptist, they call him something distinguished. They call him rabbi. Rabbi simply just means teacher. And I think they use this respectful tone to kind of be like, no, we still respect you. Like we, we're still with you. And so they say basically what they're saying is teacher, look. Do you see what's going on right now? This guy is baptizing all of these people and, and we're losing followers. Like they're all going to him. Like, don't you see what's happening? What are you going to do to stop it? And it's so fascinating, the human condition, that it's much the same now as it was all those thousands of years ago in scripture. Because the reality is our sin-marred human condition is often bent toward competition. It's bent toward wanting influence and power over and above those around us. And if we're being honest, it's easy, if this is our sin-marred human condition, to default to that comparison and competition like the disciples did. In the realm of faith, we can see that church down the street. We can see that friend, that Christian friend or Christian mentor, and we see their influence and we begin to have this competition of wanting to leverage ourselves over people begin to creep into our hearts. And at first it doesn't seem all that sinister. At first it actually may be good. Seeing that person and wanting to compete may cause you to uh, journey in your faith a little bit more, to press into who God is, to step out of your comfort zone and into those conversations that maybe scare you, but that person is doing and having. But as it grows, it can quickly, like I said, turn not just to competition, but into contempt for that person. And that contempt is a really an exhausting feeling to upkeep for yourself. It's interesting what the disciples of John the Baptist did. They immediately went to him and tried to gather John like on their side as if he wasn't already. And I think this is another consequence of comparison and competition is we begin to try and like, like gather people all around to our side and gather as much support to bolster and affirm our frustration or a competition that's in our hearts. And, and now don't hear me wrong. We need people in our corner. We need people who are with us, who value us and encourage us and are with us through thick and thin, through hard and good. But living in a truth vacuum where you only surround yourself with people who just simply affirm you and don't actually challenge you on your perspectives, your attitudes, your positions, your actions, I don't actually think is somebody who's truly and, and doing a good job of being in your corner. I really don't think that's true. I don't think it's a loving, growing relationship. If somebody just simply always affirms your bias, affirms your attitude, affirms your actions, affirms your perspective without bringing any sort of challenge to check you as we journey in faith together. Because what it does, if it just begins to become unhealthy for all of us, because it makes us easier, it makes it easier and easier for us to deceive ourselves. Where we begin to think that we are always right. Where we begin to think that the competition in our hearts is valid. Where we begin to think that the words and the thoughts and the attitudes we have towards that person 
is, is valid and it's true and should be expressed. But the result of that is it actually just simply breeds division where we create camps, where we have an us versus them mentality, where disunity begins to widen and widen that gap and it becomes harder and harder that gap widens to bridge it. And we become more and more distant from God's people. When their competition with Jesus, the disciples of John actually unfortunately missed the most important part of the picture that they saw. The most important part of the picture was not that John's disciples were being lost to Jesus, but the most important part of the picture that they saw was that God's work was being done. It was being done. People were being baptized. People were, were being purified. People were being encouraged to follow Jesus. God's work was being done. And yet the disciples missed it. Because when we live in competition, we too can have eyes that are blinded to what Jesus is doing. And we can end up begrudging God's work rather than celebrating what is happening. We can begin begrudging God's work rather than celebrating what is happening. And as I read this, I can find it so easy to kind of shake my finger at those disciples. Like, how could you have, have this perspective? It's like, it's Jesus, after all. Like how, could you, like, how could you say that? Like, how could you feel that way? And yet, when I look at my life, I can find myself having that exact same attitude as those disciples. In my second year uh, of college, I was really close friends with, with the person who became the student body president of that year. And, and this friend kind of just like had this way about him. He had this incredible ability to like have great conversations with people about faith, uh, whether that was believers or even non-believers, that he was just really awesome at kind of gathering people into a great conversation about Jesus. He would like come home uh, from being out with friends into the dorm room that we shared and he would tell me about all these great stories about the friend that he led to Christ at hockey practice or that conversation that he just had with somebody in the lounge who he had never met before, but had this like deep, really awesome conversation about faith. And it was kind of just like a natural expression of his giftings and who he was. And when he became student body president, his influence in that way just kind of continued to grow. And so outwardly, I would celebrate all those moments. I would text a great uh, encouragement to him. I would celebrate with him in person, but inwardly, there was a burgeoning storm of competition that was beginning to form in my heart. Where outwardly I would celebrate all these things, but inwardly there was so much darkness that was beginning to fester all throughout my heart. And the weird thing is my friend didn't know that this was happening. My friend had no idea because outwardly I was doing all the things that I should do. I was saying all the right things. I was acting the way that I should. But it came to a point where internally I was feeling so dark and so conflicted and so competitive and so angry at him that I began to pick him apart in my mind. I began to discount the things that God was doing. I began to begrudge God's work that he was performing through this friend. And so it got to the point where I simply just couldn't handle even seeing him and so I would avoid him. He would come into our room and I would leave. I would see him walking down the hallway and I would turn the other way or duck into a friend's room. I grew distant from him. And, and, and the reality was it, not, it was not because of anything that he was doing, but it, it was because of what I was doing. 
It was because of the attitude that I was letting fester in my heart. And so I came to a point where I just like couldn't handle it anymore, where internally I was feeling so conflicted and so dark and so awful and outwardly was expressing something so different and this disconnect was becoming impossible for me to manage. And so I had to do something about the darkness was, that was in my heart. But I didn't even know where to start. I just knew that I was simply at a crossroads. How would I respond? How would I choose to respond? Because it was a crossroads that was gonna determine how my relationship, both with that person, but also with Jesus and those around me was gonna continue to go. Well, before I finish my story and before I kind of share what I did, I think scripture is something uh, even better and more important to say. And so let's look at what John the Baptist's response is to his disciples sharing this concern and frustration. It's found as we continue in John chapter three, verse 27 to 30. This is what John the Baptist says. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Well, John the Baptist's response is actually one that's like incredibly shocking. Instead of being somebody who commiserated with his disciples, who agreed that like, yeah, Jesus was stealing all these people and like, how dare he and shaking that finger and creating that divide. John the Baptist chose to point his disciples to something better. And his response, I think, carries both a rebuke, but also an incredible hope for his disciples and for us today. Because he reminds his disciples first of where his ministry comes from, where any of his influence came from anyways. And, and David Guzik comments on that piece of passage where it says, where he says, John first answered his worried disciples that everything he had, including those who responded to his ministry, were a gift from God. If they are God's gift, then they should be received gratefully. Well, friends, any type of work for Jesus that we get to do is exclusively because God chose us in his grace, in his mercy, and his love for us to give us this partnership with him. Not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us and because he desires to partner with even us as broken humanity. And John knew that, and that's what he's trying to speak to in that passage. Because John's humility destroyed competition by creating authentic celebration. Not in his own work, not in his own work, but that God's work was being done on the earth that his kingdom was being established and not John the Baptist. And not only that, but John the Baptist reminded his disciples that he actually wasn't the savior, that it's not even about him anyways. His role was simply to point others to the, to the savior, to the one who is, which is a very person that John the Baptist's disciples are disputing against. That's Jesus, that's Jesus. And I think this is the definition of humility for us as believers. That we don't think more of ourselves than we ought, but we also don't have so low a perspective of ourselves that we feel like we aren't included in God's plan for humanity. But John was convinced of his role in, in God's plan for humanity, and because of this, he wasn't concerned with somebody else's role. And I think we need to ask this question too when we find ourselves competing in an unhealthy way with believers. Are we just convinced of our role in God's plan for humanity? Because when we are, 
I think it allows us to be content with God, with what God gives us, whatever that may be. It means we can stop the endless, exhausting, fruitless pursuit of somebody else's calling, which I think is what comparison and competition does. Where I think comparison and competition makes us feel like we need to wear a role that doesn't even actually fit us. Rather than trying and just walking in the humility and confidence in the role that God has given us that actually fits perfectly for you. That fits perfectly for you because God has given it to you specifically. And so I think to illustrate this moment, uh, John talks about being the friend of the bridegroom. And this illustration was certainly lost on me because I don't know about you, um, but I don't know anything about Jew ancient Jewish wedding customs. Um, so I don't know if you do, and if you do, then like, well done. Um, but William Barclay does. Uh, he's a well-known, uh, well-respected Christian commentator. And he says this about kind of the, the Jewish wedding culture. He says, the friend of the bridegroom had a unique place at a Jewish wedding. He acted as the liaison between the bride and the bridegroom. He arranged the wedding. He took out the invitations. He presided at the wedding feast. He brought the bride and the bridegroom together. And, and, and he had one special duty. It was his duty to guard the bridal chamber and to let no false lover in. He would open the door only when in the dark he heard the bridegroom's voice and recognized it. When he heard the, the bridegroom's voice, he let him in and he went away rejoicing for his task was completed and the lovers were together. He did not grudge the bridegroom the bride. He knew that his only task had been to bring the bride and the bridegroom together. And when this task was done, he willingly and gladly faded out of the center of the picture. What John is saying here is that he had a specific role to simply set the stage for the Savior's coming to bridge the gap with the bride, his people. And because of that confidence, he was able to not just grudgingly or even dutifully step aside, but rather joyfully step aside so that someone else could take over at the center stage. Well, when we see somebody else's ministry flourishing, when we see God working in a different part of the world, when we see that other Christian gaining the following that we wanted, what is your response? Do we respond like John the Baptist's disciples? Or do we respond like John the Baptist himself? Because humility destroys competition by creating authentic celebration. When it comes to God's kingdom, we're not competing or we shouldn't be competing. What we're doing is partnering together no matter what amount of calling, gifts, abilities, skill set, and reach that you have been given. Friends, we need to stop seeing God working in someone else a threat to us, but rather it's a gift to us. Because you and I don't have it all within ourselves to complete uh, and partner with God in all that he wants to do with humanity. That is why God has given us this beautiful expression and, and, and gift of community is because you can't do it alone. You don't have all the gifts and skill sets and abilities and, and reach to be able to do that. And it's not really about us anyways. It's just about us partnering with God. And so some God working in somebody else is not a threat to you, but it's actually a gift to you because there are some people that will connect better with others. There are some people who have a better specific sphere of people that they can minister to. 
And then we don't have to continue to fit ourselves into a role that was never meant for us. And so we must be people who constantly and consistently say, as John the Baptist did, he must increase and I must decrease. Because in us doing so, Jesus himself is actually elevated and lifted high, which is where he should be, because it's not about you and I anyways. Well, I left off the story of, of me and my friend kind of at a crossroads. Would I choose to respond like the disciples or would I choose to respond like John the Baptist? Well, I chose in a very difficult and in a very humbling moment to simply come to that friend and to confess to him the competition and the darkness that I was hiding in my heart. And it was a bit weird because the thing was, this friend never knew what was happening. This friend never saw or had a glimpse into the darkness that was kind of pervading within me that was toward him. But you know what it did? Is that humbling did something really powerful for me. It shifted something in my heart and it began to bring us closer again. Because humility destroys competition by creating authentic celebration. It was painful. It was so painful to do so. And it was even a bit embarrassing to admit this to my friend who didn't have any clue that it was going on. But it was a moment where we became closer, where I could celebrate again what God was doing in that person's life and in my life and just in the world around me, even when it wasn't through me. And it can be easy to tell that story now that it's resolved, but friends, it took me months to get to that place where I confessed that to my friend. But I'm so glad that I did because in doing so, in that humility, I was able to see God working again. And maybe this morning, you've been struggling with kind of that same spirit of comparison and competition. Well, one of my ministry friends and, and mentors in my life, James Berkey, has said something that like years ago that has stuck with me for a really long time, up until this point even. He says, if you compare and compete, you live in defeat. If you compare and compete, you'll live in defeat. It's a catchy phrase. It, it even rhymes. It's very pithy. But the reality is it's not just those things. It's also incredible and deep, solid truth for us today. We don't get to choose how God uses us, but what we do get to choose is how we respond to God using somebody else. And so maybe today you need to walk in that same humility of working through your comparison and competition. It's hard work. It really is. And I don't want to belittle that, but I pray that it opens your eyes to God working again and that it brings a stable, firm, unshakable confidence and knowledge of who God has created you to be for what ministry and work he has for you to partner with him. And so John's disciples leaving him and following Jesus didn't actually mean the failure of John's ministry, which can be easy for us to see, but rather the beginning of the fulfillment of it. And what if we thought the same thing of our work as we, as we journey in faith together with people around us? Because humility destroys competition by creating authentic celebration. And so what if we chose to celebrate God's working, even if it's not through our gifts and our abilities? And now I think it's important to say that this picture that we see of John the Baptist, at least in John's gospel, is the last picture that we see before he's martyred. Um, and his ministry obviously came to an end at the point of his death. But can I just say, if you feel like your gifts and your ministry or your skill set is not what it once was because you've been journeying in faith for a long time, 
God is not done with you yet. God is not done with you yet. God doesn't make a distinction of the size of your ministry, but of the measure of your faithfulness and faith toward him in every season. And he's not done partnering with you here on this earth until you meet him again in eternity. So if you feel that your time is up, I want you to hear this. It may look different than it was before, but it is no less meaningful and it is no less honorable work for God's kingdom. He still has a plan for you today. Don't give up. Don't throw in that towel. Continue working for his kingdom no matter what it looks like for you personally. Well, this chapter concludes again in a little bit of a debated way. Verses 31 to 36 of John chapter 3 are disputed of whether or not they're John the Baptist's words or John the Gospel writer's words and kind of commentary on this passage. But either way, we're going to quickly just read them together. Uh, John chapter 3, 33 to 36. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets a seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God continues to remain on him. Well, my research as I was like kind of working through this sermon is I think that though I, it seems as though this is John the Baptist's words as he's kind of moving from a personal testimony to the rabbi teaching his disciples, which was kind of the beginning of what this, this piece of scripture talked about. And so he's finished making the comparison between earthly and heavenly things. And when we compete in a way that's unhealthy, we can confuse somebody else's work as merely earthly and miss out on the heavenly things that God is doing. And this passage, that particular piece, reminds me of Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 to 9. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Well, I think that Paul is kind of making the same, same statement as John here. When competition can arise, it can kill our peace. And so I think the remedy to that can be often remembering what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, and that is Jesus. That is Jesus, the one who is above all things, like John the Baptist says. And as we do that, I think it shifts our perspective to help us see clearly the work that God is doing rather than the competition that we can so easily fall into with others. And it allows us to celebrate those moments of God working in and through another person. Well, as believers, let's be people who fight for unity by destroying competition that's unhealthy. Because the world really is watching right now how we treat each other in a way that it never has before. Because you, and so today, can I invite you to choose to humble yourself? To choose to humble yourself, however that needs to happen today. Because humility destroys competition by creating authentic celebration. And so let's celebrate each other's wins. Let's celebrate that church down the street's win. Rather than competing against each other to elevate ourselves. Because we celebrate God working in and through that other person or that other place, 
The person who really gets the credit in that moment is Jesus. And he is the one who gifts us anyways with any gift, ability, or even Christian influence. And if you aren't a believer today, but you're exploring faith with us, I think the principle still stands that comparison and competition just, it can kill and destroy our joy. And it causes kind of everybody to live in defeat. It causes us to all live in defeat. But I think that God has a better way for you even today because he has offered himself to you and you don't have to compete to win his affection for you. He already loves you so much that he leveled the playing field by coming to earth to die for you and for your sins and to bridge that relationship that may have been widened between him and others. He removes the need to perform and he celebrates who you are today and who you are becoming in him. And so I invite you in this moment to come to Jesus and to know that there's no competing with him. You have already won his heart. You have already won his heart just as you are. And I hope that this kind of propels you into digging deeper into who this Jesus is. And there are times where the church has competed and caused disunity and caused rifts to form. And for that, I, I say, look to Jesus again. The one who never needs us to compete for his affection and attention and love. That yes, his broken people may get it wrong sometimes, but Jesus doesn't compete. He doesn't compete and neither do you to have to, to have to win his love. And so yes, the church is not always perfect in, in being without competition, but I pray that even if that has hurt you before, that has damaged you, you see that it kind of puts you off to faith, that you would choose not to look at that church, but that you would choose to look at Jesus, who doesn't need you to compete, but who already welcomes you with open arms, just as you are. And so let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you are with us. Thank you so much, God, that you uh, reveal these things by your spirit to our hearts, not for our demise or not for our shame, but for our life that's greater in you. For us to continue to walk in faith free and unhindered from competition and comparison. So Lord, if there are people who are holding on to that right now, I pray in your name, Jesus, that you would break that. That you'd break that spirit of comparison and competition and that out of that, you would continue to inspire unity within us that you would inspire us to celebrate what is going on in this world and what's going on as you do work in us, but also through other people. And God, I pray that if there are people here exploring faith, that you would reveal yourself to them, that they would know that there's no competition for your heart, but that, they have, that you have already uh, won both the victory for their lives and also you've already won his heart. So God, I thank you that you uh, leveled that playing field for us. May it bring us into greater and greater life. We pray us in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Marcus, for that great reminder. We are called to be people that celebrate with one another. We are called to rejoice with each other, but we're also called to carry each other's burdens. And competition becomes a barrier to both of those things. And so a life of surrender to Jesus, a life of humility is so key to being the greater body of Christ. Local church, but greater church as well. Well, we have a few announcements before you log off today. And the first is that today at two o'clock, we have our annual general meeting. 
and that is for the members of Evangel Church. Now, typically, uh, that annual general meeting would be open to anyone who wanted to come. If you just wanted to see uh, what an AGM or membership looked like here, you would be able to come and we would have a specific voting bar for members and then seating for non-members. Because we are online this year, having that voting bar is just impossible. So we are actually gonna restrict um, access to the AGM this year to members only just for logistic reasons. So if you are a member of Evangel Pentecostal Church, Powell River, you would have received an email in your inbox with both a link to our website so you can see the pastor's report, financial report, etc., as well as that Zoom link. So if you did not get that email or you deleted it for some reason, you have a bit of time. Make sure that you contact us right now at office at evangelpc.com and we will resend you that link. The meeting today is at two o'clock. We are asking anyone that is a member to please be there because we still do need to meet quorum as per usual. So uh, if you are a member of Evangel, we will see you online at two o'clock today. Well, our next announcement is something that we are so excited to uh, announce, and that is the resumption of our online community group. Now, our online community group kind of paused at Christmas, and then we did a parenting-specific one uh, during the first few months of this year, and we are going to resume our greater online community group this Thursday, April 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. And we're gonna be doing a deep dive for the next eight weeks into the book of Colossians. So if you would like to be a part of that and you are not part of our myevangel.church Facebook group where our Zoom link will be, then just make sure that you get a hold of us again office at evangelpc.com and we will make sure that you have the Zoom links that you can come and join us for our online community group. Well, thank you so much for being with us this morning, friends. I know this is second best, but you know what? It's still better than nothing. And it was so great to be able to lean into the word of God and into truth with you this morning. Again, if you're a member, we'll see you at two o'clock today. Bye.